<clears throat> Good morning. John the Baptist, Martin Luther King Jr., and Mother Teresa all have something in common. They all lived their teaching. Whether it was baptizing people in the midst of persecution, standing up against social injustice through racism, or living amongst the poor, the sick, the marginalized, these three saints lived their life in pure devotion to their teaching. They didn't just talk the talk, as Duane said, they walked the walk. They lived out what they believed, what they taught others, and that's that's what we're talking about today. They lived their teaching. That's kind of our big question, our big focus point of today, is what happens when we live our teaching? What results from integrating our teaching with our life? We're going to answer that question today by looking at the story of Timothy. Timothy was a man that we're going to find out was put into a very difficult situation. He was to be what's called an apostolic representative, which basically means that he was going to be overseeing all of the churches in Ephesus and even churches outside of Ephesus. Okay? So this man was going to be overseeing all of these churches. Well, if that wasn't intimidating enough, this is what he was walking into. Um, at that time, there were people coming into the church that were teaching. They were teaching things that, um, that were false, or they were the opposite of these three people that we just heard about. They were not walking the walk. In other words, they were teaching one thing and then living their lives another way. Timothy's walking into this, and he's walking into a very difficult situation, and he has a lot, of, a lot of weight on him. Essentially, what he's walking into is a church, several churches full of skeptical people, people that are doubting what it is that these teachers are offering. And now, there is a sense of, of skepticism that's, that's, I guess you could say, healthy, um, right? Because in Scripture, it tells us that we need to, to judge and to, and to kind of analyze um, the teachers that we listen to. And so there's a sense in which we do need to kind of test what we're hearing. But, but Timothy had it big time. He had a lot of pressure on him. And so we're going to see that today. We're going to see how, how he dealt with that. And we're also going to see um, if we can get a better mic up here. I'm sorry. This is killing me. Can I just... You can kill that other one, Andy. Okay, this is so much better. I'm sorry. Is, yeah. Okay. Moving on. We're going to see that. We're going to see uh, how, how, we, how we... Am I on? Okay, I'm on. Okay. We're going to see how we deal with this pressure of skepticism. And ultimately, what it's coming down to is people doubting Timothy's spiritual maturity, doubting who he is, doubting his, his um, age, that his age is um, essentially compatible with his spiritual maturity. And we're going to see that for ourselves, too. We're going to find out that we also, in our lives, that you and I have skeptics. Again, this isn't a terrible thing. This is something that keeps us in check, but it's something that you and I have to be aware of. We have to be aware of it because we have to live out our teaching if we're going to uh, in a sense, silence our skeptics, right? And so that's, that's, that's kind of what our passage is about today. But more than just doing that, we're also going to see something. We're going to see the result of living out our teaching. We're going to see what comes from walking our talk. And so if you would, open your Bibles with me, um, if you haven't already, to First Timothy. Uh, there are some Bibles scattered kind of throughout on the floor, too. So if you look around and someone doesn't have a Bible, please uh, pass it to them so we can all uh, have the word in our hands. So we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4.
First Timothy chapter four. And the question we're going to start out with is how do we silence our skeptics? That is, how can we prevent people from doubting our spiritual maturity? Well, we will silence our skeptics when we live godly lifestyles. That is, we prevent people from doubting our spiritual maturity by living a life of godliness. And that, if you look at your bulletin notes, that's the first blank there, is uh, living godly lifestyles. Read this verse with me. Starting at verse 11, Command and teach these things, Paul encourages Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul spells out clearly how we are to live godly lifestyles. Through speech, through, through life, or my, my translation says conduct, through love, through faith, and through purity. Let's start with speech. Speech is um, the first way that we can live a godly lifestyle. And, and we know speech through um, a great reference in James. James refers to um, speech, he refers to the tongue as the rudder, right? The rudder that steers the whole ship. And so Paul starts out, I think, very wisely by starting with speech or with the tongue because ultimately our tongue kind of directs, right? It kind of it turns our whole being, where we're going. And so clearly if we're trying to set an example of godly living, it's got to start with what we're saying. The second one we see is conduct or lifestyle. This is kind of anything that you can see. Uh, a picture I could, I could, I could use is um, think of a silent movie, Right? This is your conduct. If you're all living your own silent movie, it's not so much the words you say, it's just how your actions are, how you present yourself to people, your habits, how you treat others. This is your conduct. And so these are the first two pieces of godly living, godly lifestyles that Paul puts out there. And they're both, if you notice, they're both external. They're both things that other people can see, both your words and your actions. And the last three, the last three are more internal. The last three aspects of godly living are more um, areas of your heart. And so it starts with love. And we know in Corinthians, Paul talks a lot about love. Talking about love being something that is patient, something that is protecting, something that perseveres. Uh, It's putting others first. It's putting others first the same way that Jesus put us first when he died for us on the cross. Love is something that seeks others and not ourselves. Faith. Faith is, is the fourth way that we see um, that we can live a godly lifestyle. And faith is ultimately, we read in Hebrews, it's having confidence in what we hope for. Assurance in the things that we cannot see. God. We cannot see God. And so faith is believing that God is who he is. That believing that he's sovereign. Believing that you and I are not sovereign. Which is kind of relieving if you think about it. It's saying, God, I trust you and I put all my faith in you. And the last one's purity. Jesus talks a lot about purity. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I think he just kind of sums up this concept of purity with that passage, that if you're pure in heart, that you will see God, that you'll be experiencing relationship with him in such a pure, uh, raw form. Um, another picture that I've been given um, from one of my professors at school is um, purity. It, it's, it's God wanting to come into your heart. When we believe in Jesus um, and, he, and he makes his home within us, picture a literal home, right? Like the home that you live in, 
you have bedrooms, you have a kitchen, you have a dining room perhaps, you have a family room, um, some closets, a garage, right? Well, Jesus, when he makes his home in you, he starts coming, he starts purifying, he starts cleansing out, starts spring cleaning some of your rooms, right? Um, But he doesn't doesn't necessarily do it all the moment that you believe. Uh, It's a process. And so so purification means maybe Jesus walking you down the hall and and opening up that closet that hasn't been opened in a long time. Maybe going through your garage and having a spiritual garage sale, you know? Um, it's, it's about going through and finding those areas in our hearts and saying, God, you know, I want, I want to bring you in here too. It's not about condemnation. The Bible says that there's no condemnation for those in Christ. It's about, it's about experiencing his love. It's about experiencing his healing touch in our hearts. And so that's, that's purity. And so those, those are the five, the five aspects, the five areas that we can live godly lifestyles. Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Well, coming back to Timothy, he, um, yeah, he was unique. Not only was he walking into, remember, he was walking into a situation where there was a lot of um, hypocritical teachers, right? Well, not only that, but he was overseeing all these churches, overseeing the leaders and elders. Well, um, on top of that, I didn't mention this earlier, but he's, he's about 35 years old, give or take. Most of the elders at that time, approximately 60 to 70 years old from our best analysis, which means that, that, that Timothy is about half the age of everybody that he is overseeing. And it's not just one church. We're talking about tons of churches, even beyond Ephesus. And so Timothy's walking into a huge role. Paul here is saying, Timothy, I know what's going to happen. I can already see it coming. These people are going to look at you and say, you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not wise enough. But most importantly, you're not spiritual enough. You don't have enough spiritual maturity. And what they're going to say is, well, look how young you are. Your spiritual maturity is essentially equal to your physical maturity, right? It's equal to your age. And, and, and Timothy is to live out kind of a, a spiritual maturity that's beyond his years. Paul sees it in him, and he knows he can do it. And so he's exhorting him, encouraging him, saying, live a godly lifestyle. So that what? So that you can, it says, set an example for the believers. And so then how does that play into our lives today? What does that look like for us I think a very simple application is, is with our youth, with our high schoolers, with our middle schoolers. I think it's, um, it's easy for, for us to kind of think a similar thing. Oh, they're young. Um, and therefore, you know, when they grow up, then they will be able to experience, you know, deeper spiritual maturity and growth. Um, and it's not that we want to see them fail. It's not that we want to push them down. It's the opposite. We want to see them grow. We want to see them have a vibrant faith in the Lord. In fact, um, uh, the leaders and I, our, our purpose statement as leaders for the youth, um, it's essentially to develop a love for God that overflows into their daily lives. We want to see them grow and mature. Um, but I think, it's, I think it's easy to kind of say, well, but they're youth, right? And so um, the application for the youth is, is youth. I encourage you to live godly lifestyles. Um, Silence us. Don't let us see things in your lives that, um, that might make us think you're not as spiritual as you could be, as, as mature as you could be, um, as godly as this passage is calling us to. So, so that's the challenge to the youth. But what about for the rest of us? How does this play out for the rest of us? Um, you know, I think in our culture, unfortunately, we don't um, revere and respect um, age as much as they did back in Timothy's culture. Um, which means that we're not necessarily looking up to the older generations. In fact, sometimes there might be a tendency to look down on them, thinking that they're not, you know, 
um, with it. They're not with the times. They don't get it. And I think that for, for even the older generation, so essentially anybody that's out of high school and beyond, I think our challenge is to, to, to prove ourselves to the younger generation, right? It's to, it's to live a godly life through our speech, conduct, love, faith, and, and purity. It's to show, it's to say, listen, we are serious about this. We do want to live out our faith. And so I think that's the application for, for, um, for anyone beyond high school. And so we see in our first point that we silence our skeptics when we live godly lifestyles. And so my second question then is, is that all we're called to do is to, to just practice godly lifestyles? In what other way are we to exhibit godliness? Well, our second point here is that we must also regularly practice godly teaching. We're to exhibit godliness in how we teach. That's the second blank there in your, in your notes, if you haven't caught that. Let's practice godly teaching. Read with me verses 13 and 14. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy, when the body of elders laid hands on you. Here, Paul is clearly calling Timothy to practice godly teaching. We see this all throughout at the beginning of chapter 4, in the same chapter that we're in. Um, we see a bunch of different ways that he can practice godly teaching. We see that through, through teaching um, his people to avoid destructive lies. We see it through um, him challenging his people to focus less on um, that phrase physical training and more on godly training, right? And we also see it in having them put their hope in the living God. It's, it's this idea that in everything you, you say in your teaching, you need to be making that focused around God, godly teaching. Godly teaching is to encourage godly living, which is our first point. I personally believe that you and I, that everyone here, that all believers, in fact, are called to be teachers. And now, some of us might think, right, but I don't do that. That's not my, that's not my thing. I don't teach. I don't get up and formally stand up in front of people and teach. Um, but I, I want to, um, I just want to make one quick point about this that I think is important for us all to catch um, I'm going to turn, you don't need to turn there, but I'm just going to read a passage from uh, Deuteronomy 6. And this, I think, makes it very clear that we're called to be teachers. It says that these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. In other words, all these things that, that Israel's been learning from God, essentially to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all the other commandments that come from that, this passage is telling us that we need to be teaching these to our kids, to the future generations. Well, not only that, because I think that only applies, right, to those who have kids or that their kids still live in the home. Um, but I think we need to find a passage that applies to all of us. And that, I think we could all agree, would be the Great Commission, uh, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. And actually, Rebecca even said this earlier, which was kind of cool. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so we see right there in the Great Commission, which is a commission for all of us as believers, that we're all called to teach. However, this does look different for some of us. It's probably not going to be as formal for all of us. We see in scriptures that there is the gift of teaching, and that gift isn't necessarily for everyone. However, teaching is still to be practiced. For instance, let's look back at our, uh, the, the list of five, right? Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Let's use speech as an example of how we can teach godliness. 
Let's say that at our, at our dinner table um, in the evening, we sit down with our family for dinner, and we use our speech to pray over the meal. We use our speech to say a blessing for our meal. Well, what we're doing is we're teaching our children what it says right there in 1 Timothy 4.3, just above our passage for today, that God created food to be received with thanksgiving, that that's a very important piece of our Christian faith is to recognize God and what he's doing. And so you're teaching them that, that it's not you necessarily that provide, but it's God that provides all that's before us. Another example, looking at love as one of the godly lifestyles. Let's bring love into teaching. And let's say, for instance, that you are um, serving in the nursery, that you're, you're taking your time to, to love our little babies. Bless you. Okay, so um, recall that love is patient, love protects, love perseveres. And as you persevere with our little ones through their screams and diaper changes, um, I think it's, it's so important that you realize you're not just persevering with them for the sake of persevering. You're actually teaching them. You're teaching them what it looks like to have a godly influence, another godly adult taking care of them, right? You're not even teaching with words at this point. You're just setting an example. And what's really powerful here is that you're teaching them that, that it's not just mommy and daddy that they can trust, but that they can trust other adults, which I believe, in effect, turns into them even trusting God that much more. And so you're expanding their capacity to love and to experience love through God and through others. I think that's a very powerful teaching. And that application can be played out, I think, throughout the rest of, um, you know, Promised Land and the park and the other generations, too. Um, but I think those are two just, just kind of pictures to paint for how we can also uh, live godly teaching. And then that brings us now to our, our third point, which... Um, which kind of integrates those two concepts of godly lifestyle and godly teaching. The question is, what is the result of combining the first two points of godly living and godly teaching? Or let's put it this way, what happens when we live our godly teaching? Well, what happens is if we live our godly teaching, people are saved from destructive lies. When we're living our teaching, we are rescuing others from the deception that hinders their spiritual maturity. And this is the piece that I really want us to sit with, to really hit home with, because this is really what the passage is getting at here. And so read with me these last two verses. Starting at verse 15, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So verses 15 and 16 are kind of a a synthesis of the first two verses, of the first two points that we made. The first is calling us to live godly, and the second to teach godly. And here we see them being integrated together, because if we only teach godly, we don't live godly, we're no different than those hypocrites that Paul was warning Timothy against, that Paul was saying, don't be like them because you're not going to have anybody listening to you. There is a power that comes with a a person who lives their teaching. I'm just thinking of, again, Martin Luther King, of um, John the Baptist, of Mother Teresa. These people, uh, if they were here today, there there would be something about them that we we just want to hear from them because there's something about living out your teaching, right? There's this power behind it. And so this is what Paul's encouraging Timothy, and this is what we're encouraged to with today, is to live out our godly teaching. And the result, the result of living out our godly teaching, what is that? It says right here that 
Um, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In other words, people will be saved. I think this passage can kind of throw us off a little bit. It almost sounds like if we, if we live our godly teaching, then, then people will, um, you know, then, we'll, we, then we will save people. It says that you, your hearers will be saved. Uh, it's not so much talking about our initial salvation, about when we um, come to faith in Jesus. It's more so talking about this saving, almost more of a rescuing. Um, it's, it, it's kind of de- depicted as like a, a pers- persevering from loss or destruction. And in our context, it's uh, persevering from destructive lies. That is, that is we, can, we can, in living our godly teaching, we can save people from destructive lies. What is a destructive lie? Destructive lies are anything that hinder, slow down, or altogether stop our spiritual maturity, our spiritual progress, our growth. Lies are all around us. Our world is constantly feeding us lies. Um, You know, destructive lies, they are, you know, as we drive through life, you know, destructive lies are the detour signs that point us off in the wrong direction, sending us into some place that we never intended nor desired to end up in. Destructive lies take us off course. And if we're living our godly teaching, then we can be the ones to guide others back on course. We can be the ones to, to show them that these destructive lies are taking them off the course that God intends them to be on. What, is this, what does this look like? This passage, it says, um, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. How does this play out? Um, let's, let's look back again at our example of speech, of praying at the dinner table. Um, as we pray around the dinner table, again, we're teaching our children that ultimately God's providing this meal. We see in uh, Jeremiah 14, 22, Jeremiah says, do the skies themselves send down showers? No, it is you, O Lord, our God. Therefore, our hope is in you, for you are the one who does all this. I think it's so easy to think, myself included, that my nine-to-five job, that what I do, that, that, that what I bring home is essentially my provision for my family, and that's the end of it. And I think it's so quick to, I get so quick to forget that God is the one that's ultimately providing all of this. And so just as simple as praying before our meals um, is one way that we can live our godly teaching. But also, it requires us to be at the dinner table on time, regularly, in order to have that place, in order to have that time of godly teaching. And so that's the living out part, right? That's the, the, the living out what you're teaching. And I know that's hard for some of us. It's, it's hard just to get our family together once a week. And so, you know, this, for some of us, this is a huge challenge. But I want to encourage you, I- even if it's just once a week, to start there. Um, and then to see if you can increase that, to be able to pour into your kids. Our situation with, um, with love, um, with teaching our godly living through love at the nursery, um, what that happens is, is we're saving our youth, our, our, our little ones, potentially from the destructive lie that, that I can only trust mommy and daddy, that I, that I can't trust other adults, which if you, can, if you can play that out, you could probably then see someone growing up who has probably more shallow relationships with others and then inevitably with God. And of course, God is wanting to heal all of these things, but, but we have the opportunity right now to, to save people from these destructive lies, whether it's that, that mommy and daddy are the only providers that they bring home, everything that we have and not God, or that only I can trust mom and dad. Um, it, you know, God was wanting us to expand our horizons ultimately to see that he's the one in charge. And so I think these are just two simple ways that we can um, live out our teaching in order to save people from destructive lies. 
And so we've seen that we can, um, in the first point, that we can silence our skeptics when we live godly lifestyles. But not only that, but we're also called to regularly practice godly teaching. And then that third point, that if we live our godly teaching, that people are saved from destructive lies. Look at those five right there in your notes, um, the five um, godly lifestyle points, speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Just take a moment right now just to think about which one of those, if you could work on one of those right now, which one would you want to work on? If you don't have a a bulletin, that's okay. You heard me say the words, just pick one of them. (laughs) But pick one of those five words and just circle it. I think this is the part that hits home for all of us. Um, When we read that in um, in verse 15 and 16, it says, Be diligent in our life and our teaching um, to give yourself wholly to these aspects of living godly and teaching godly. That phrase, give yourself wholly to them, your translation, if you have a different translation, might say something a little different. But actually, if we were to go all the way back to the Greek, that phrase, give yourself wholly to them, the literal meaning really is to be in them, to be in them, to be in your life, to be in your teaching. Kind of this picture of being absorbed into living out the things that you teach. We're called to, 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 to be in our life and to be in our teaching. But how do we do this? How do we actually live this out? And I think that if we were to be honest, we'd all have to admit that this is an incredibly difficult, if not impossible, task to do alone that we all, we all need God if we're going to do this. We all need Christ, who, who if we believe in Jesus and repent of our ways, that he has then made his home in us, that he is within us. We all need God within us to be working out of us. That's why it's called a godly lifestyle. Live your godly teaching, because it's not living your teaching. It's not living my teaching. It's living God's teaching. It's living godly. In other words, it's allowing God to live and work through us. Allow God to teach in and through us. And so we have to call on God. We have to ask him, say, God, I can't do this. Admit defeat and say, God, I need your help. And so um, I actually want to do that right now. I want to just um, just in a, just have a few moments of silence um, to just calm our hearts before God. I know that um, Sunday mornings can be a little chaotic for some of us, and it's nice to be able to just have a time to just stop and be, right? To be in these things. And so let's just Stop now, and and I want you just to ask the question to God, God, um, can you be with me in this? Can you help me with this? So let's, let's, let's pray now. Father, we admit that we cannot do this alone. God, that it is um, you alone that um, can allow us to live out um, our teaching, which really, God, is your teaching. God, it's your scripture. It's your life in us. And so I just pray for everyone here now that um, they can just have just a moment to just um, kind of come before you in weakness and accept that the cross was meant for us in our weakness and not in our strength. And so I just um, ask all of you now just to, just to tell God you, you can't do this alone and that you need him. And, and now, um, 
now that you've just kind of brought yourself before God and just admitted um, that you need him, um, ask God to remind you who you are in Christ, um, knowing that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So just ask him to remind you of who you are and that, that remind him that, that God is really in you right now. Ask him to remind you of that. And, and lastly, whatever of those five uh, godly lifestyle aspects that you chose, that you circled or that you just uh, thought of, just now specifically um, pinpoint that one with God and say, God, I want to work on this particular aspect, whether it's speech, conduct, love, faith, or purity. God, I want to um, invite you into that part of my life. And so just take a moment now to um, be with God in that. Amen.